This podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host S1E1. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Head on over to Podbean at www.podbean.com and use the code Podcast 21 for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free. Check it out. I don't want to be like not in control in case I wake up when the fuselage is exploding and I don't have like <laughs> the ability to do something about it. Damn, what are you going to do? I wish Joe was going to say that. Cool. What the hell are you going to do if a fuselage explodes? Good thing Joe's alert so he can jump out on the wing with some duct tape and <laughs> get over the duct. Welcome everyone to S1E1, the show where each week we pick a different sitcom, watch just its first televised episode, and based on just that episode alone, rate it, and decide if it's a show that we want to green light or cancel, ignoring anything we might know about the future run of that show. This week we're talking about Mulaney. Mulaney went 13 episodes, having only one season on Fox. Today we're talking about the first episode, which was called Pilot, originally airing October 5th, 2014. So to get things started, I'm Jay Gags. With me as always, Ferg, Joe, Gordo, and Nick. What's going on, guys? Mulaney. Yo. This podcast was recorded in front of a live studio audience. Okay. Is <laughs> <laughs> anybody else thrown off by that? I was like, is that fucking iced tea? <laughs> yeah. Happened? Yeah. I don't know I why. I want to do the voice tea. too, but I feel like it'd be in poor taste to do the iced tea voice. So to start off, Mulaney as a show. Has anyone seen this up until watching it for this episode we're doing now? No. Nope. No. I never heard of it. No, yeah. I I didn't know it. I, I don't remember if I knew it existed. I, I don't think I did. Um, I'm not sure. If I heard it, it was in passing. But now, to pivot, John Mulaney, the comedian, who's familiar with him? Nope. Yeah, I know me. who he is. Very much so. He's a very big comedian. I would have thought more of you would be aware of his work. You know, you guys keep saying that, and yeah. he's not a, a small comedian by any means, but I don't think he's like upper echelon. He's pretty known. I've never heard of him. He played in Boston last year and did like 10 sold out shows in a row. Like did like a residency here and sold out the Wilbur like 10 nights in a row and then did like 10 nights in Boston and him and Nick Kroll did that, or New York rather, him and Nick Kroll did that like oh hello thing on Broadway and that sold out every night. Like it's a lot of people. They were probably there for Ruxin. Well, Ruxin was home alone. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's get right into the episode. So the show opens up with... Uh, John Mulaney just doing some stand-up, which um, you can't not say this, is obviously going to draw comparisons to Seinfeld right away. Yeah. Yep. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but Seinfeld was him doing his act on like a comedy stage. This was just out of nowhere in front of the studio audience for the show. It was strange. Also, when he's doing that stand-up, is he in Lou Cannon's apartment, the set? I think he's in the set at the end. Because it looked like, because you don't realize it until you later in the episode when we get into Lou Cannon's office. Office, but it looks like that the beginning like stand-up set is in that set. I don't know. I huh. could be wrong. I didn't notice. I, it, it came off to me not that he was... It, it looked like he was supposed to be doing a, a normal comedy set, but maybe just the set looked weird to us. I don't know. But I thought it was supposed to be a comedy show, much like Seinfeld's was, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I couldn't tell if maybe he was like a warm-up comedian. The, um... 
the background had the apartment. Oh, okay. Furniture and yeah, everything. I just don't know if it's like a meta thing. Like, is he being himself John Mulaney doing stand-up in front of his own TV show before his start? Or is he being John Mulaney, the character John Mulaney, it's a great question inside of the world of the TV show? That's what threw me off. Mm. Yeah, and I don't want to do the whole bit. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I usually am the person who picks, who always goes into Seinfeld and everybody yells at me. And I picked this show having never seen it. Then halfway through, I was like, I'm fucking dreading this episode because how do you not just constantly refer to this as Seinfeld and all of the right. critics of this show constantly refer to it like everybody you know it's so obvious oh what did they say were they like it's just like Seinfeld but not funny <laughs> 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 The second we started this show, I cursed Joe. I'm like, why is it every time? Like, every single time Joe picks a show, I'm miserable for 22 minutes straight. Like, (laughs) it's awful. Stop picking these shows, please. (laughs) Well, what I'm guessing is that Nick wants to put a bullet in my head. (laughs) (laughs) You know, to to get, I don't want to get too into it right now, but they definitely had very high expectations for the show and they put a lot of money into it. It was very clear by the sets, the the cast that they got. Um, So a lot of effort went into it. All right, just to start off with the stand-up, I don't want to, I don't want to emulate the whole bit he does, but essentially he's just telling a joke about being 30 and women finding him scary now because he's older. And uh, the joke is essentially him just accidentally chasing a woman down the street thinking that he was running after a train. I don't know. I don't want to, again, I can't tell the joke, but yeah, it wasn't, to me it was like, this is the first, you're first intro to the show it's episode one i don't know i'm assuming every episode is going to start off like this and if this was like your number one ace joke it's not a good start no also i don't no. care how old he is i don't think anybody would find john mulaney threatening in any way no he looks like a boy <laughs> he's such a fucking twig he's not very threatening dude i will say that I, mean, I do like john mulaney's stand-up and i did like the hook of the end of that where he's like oh yeah we're adults and adults murder each other that got a, a laugh out of me yeah i did like that yeah i didn't think the joke was i didn't think the joke itself was bad just I thought that it went on a little too long for a show intro and not knowing anything about the show I don't know if all of these are like one full bit from him. right so uh yeah so let's get into the intro because the intro is just some establishing shots of um New York and it all kind of looks like homemade footage the way it's made to shot it's, it's obviously with professional cameras but you see a little bit of movement with the screens it's very simple just establishing shots and all the names of the actors just kind of being written on in a script over uh not much to it some upbeat music with no lyrics i do like the names having their own cards though i feel like we don't see that as much as we used to you know what i mean yeah like we did a podcast intro and it was like gordo mm. Berg, you know when they were creating the show right they had to make the seinfeld connection right like at a certain point you have to realize that this is identical to what they tried to or what they did why at that point why are you still keeping it in new york city at least remove yourself from new york city go to los angeles to make it different even mentioned he's from chicago yeah like why did you have to be in new york city i didn't understand that i got a snl vibe from this it does have i mean nasim pedrov is in it so i mean that might be why yeah i mean like there's multiple snl connections no just the intro like it went from seinfeld to snl but yeah i do know what you mean i I got i know what you meant oh with the the snl intro featuring lauren michaels was yeah lauren michaels is one of the producers on this He's like the last credited person. Yeah, just the way they they cycled through the names and the music was very SNL like. Yeah. So, I didn't know what to expect. 
now from this show going into it. Yeah, I will say it's a big swing if you're like, I'm going to make a show. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to make a sitcom. And what I'm going to try to do is try to be exactly like the most successful sitcom of all time. Then like, that's a hard thing to like, if you're going to make comparisons to a show that people universally love and has that much, you know, people around it and just history, it, that's the tough thing to like live up to immediately. Like it's a bootleg is what it is. Yeah. It is a little bit. It's a Bobo Seinfeld. Yeah. Big time. It's like the asylum made it. So yeah, let's get right into the opening. And, and you know what? Before we even do that, I, I do want to say this. I think as the episode goes along, the, it could e- very easily not look like a Seinfeld clone, but there's there's a main reason, and I'm going to get into it later. When you really dissect it, it's not that similar, but the opening stand-up and the fact that it's based around John Mulaney is why it's going to get those comparisons. I think the heart of the show is very different. Is he a writer on the show? Yeah, John Mulaney. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's definitely one of the main cr- creators. Yeah, but yeah, we'll we'll get into that because there's a couple examples of that too. For but to start off, actually, to end the intro before we even I'm going ahead. Joe, you said at the top of the episode, you get that like this this episode was recorded in front of a live studio audience, and it, that was definitely Ice T because I yeah for sure Ice it had to be, and I missed that. You know, I kind of forgot that shows did that all the time, and this is a true callback to how things were because we're always guessing how many episodes do we debate. Was this a uh, laugh? track or was this a studio audience i was wondering is there any legality behind saying it's in front of a studio audience and having it not be in front of a studio audience because this was canned laughter um i don't know i there was a point where i thought the laughter was not it was at a weird time yeah and and maybe they're recording the laughs from the live studio audience and injecting them into the third take they did so maybe that's why it sounds that's gotta like that. be the gimmick yeah, yeah. But like you don't get any of the fun. You don't get anybody being like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> it's always so just like a laugh. The tell is always on a on a live studio audience when um like someone takes their shirt off and one person gets extra excited. We talked about it way way back in our old home improvement episode, but it's like it happens all the time on shows. Yeah. Someone takes a, a shirt off. One girl is always way hornier than the rest of the crowd and like just can't get enough. <laughs> or one guy, Tim Allen, takes his shirt off. I'm in. Whoa, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, so the, the show starts, and now uh, John's in the waiting room of a doctor's office, and uh, he's with his buddy Motif, who's played by uh, Seton Smith. I looked it up. There's nothing I would have known him from before this, and really after. The, I, I, he's done some other things, but I wouldn't say this was meant to be his breakout role. Yeah, mainly just like a comedian who's done some acting stuff. Yeah, that's and that's exactly what it is. He's a writer, comedian, actor, like kind of a jack of all trades. He does He does his own stand-up, though, for sure. But yeah, so this actually goes back to what you were saying a second ago, Nick. The first laugh from the studio audience comes from Motif asking if he can be John's emergency contact. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, did I miss something? Why is that why is that funny? <laughs> Not funny. I was like, maybe that would be funny if we got if we knew motif better, right? Like knowing that the two of them, like that that's not a good idea or whatever. Right. This is literally his first line in the series. And exactly. It was I don't understand why it was funny, yeah. Do when they film in front of a live studio audience, do they do things out of sync with the episode? Because I would imagine that if No, they they film chronologically. They do. Okay, because yeah. I was gonna say because they're in a doctor's office and this is the only time 
that they're in a doctor's office. So I don't know if the sets are dressed in chronological order or not. And they might have those old school, like we would see like three panels. The applause, they might have the applause sign that lights up and stuff like that. So there might be something to kind of cue you like, this is supposed to be funny. Give it a laugh. But, but yeah, I thought that was just a really weird point. No, I think it's a very weird point. It's not funny. It's very weird. No one would laugh in real life at that. But when you're talking about like, this is very Seinfeld, not the whole episode is, but this is so much like the two of them in a going over forums and making, why would I make you my emergency contact? I mean, doesn't the first episode of Seinfeld start that way? It's George and Jerry at the restaurant before it becomes that famous restaurant. And they're having a, like an almost identical discussion. It's almost the same, yeah. yeah. It's a very similar conversation with two people. As he's filling out this form, Motif asks, oh, if you are putting me as the emergency contact, can you use my website instead of my number? And I'm like, come on. Th- that, that was a little much for me. That yeah. was my first face palm of this show. That was one of those many. like, yeah, like I don't know this character enough yet. And to be honest, I, I don't like skipping ahead too much, but he's not as that zany of a character that he's that disconnected from the world. So, you know what? I feel like they were, I feel like I would have loved crab man in this role instead. You know what I mean? Like that was what I think what they were going for as far as like dumb zany and just didn't get that it. innocence. Like, yeah, that. right. Yeah. But yeah. So now as he's filling out the form too, John needs to come up with a reason why he's in the doctor's office to begin with. And he's really there just to get Xanax. He doesn't want to outwardly say that to the doctor because he thinks it's going to come off shady. So instead he just writes down frequent urination. He figures, oh yeah, I'll just say that. And then while I'm in the office, I'll just casually mention at the end, you know, sometimes I get nervous on airplanes. My question here is why is the roommate with him at the doctor's office? Maybe it was his ride or they're bored. I don't know. They live together. So sometimes it's like, I don't think in my past when I had like a roommate, we would ever be like, hey, want to come to the doctors with me? But sometimes you just jump along he, for he rides. Says, Thanks but- for coming with me. So like, I can excuse that. I can't excuse the next part, but. But if we were all hanging out and you were like, oh, I feel the doctor later, we'd be like, oh, okay. Like I would go with you to do that. And then we're going to get like lunch after or something like you don't necessarily want to be sitting in the doctor's office, but like, I don't know. I'm not going to fight that. Like your friend's going somewhere. You're hanging out. You okay. just go. All right. I just thought it was weird. I will say to this though, the first time I ever got Xanax from a doctor, it did have to do with getting frequent urination and having to go on a plane. So this whole thing was like a weird thing for me. So I pee a lot because I drink so much liquid during a day. So I went to my doctor to go through a litany of the issues I have, including that I had to fly and needed Xanax for that. And um, went to a point where he wanted to uh, test my pee, but it was just so clear that he told me, never mind, because there was like no way there would be anything in it. And then he told me in his medical opinion, he was thinking that my thirst receptors were broken. This is a front end problem, <laughs> not the back end. Yeah. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I think he's fucking with me because I don't think that's like a medical problem, but I've carried that with me for years now. It's like, must be my thirst receptors. They're still broken as I chug 90 loud bottles of water. Well, you, you shouldn't have gone to one of those brick and mortar establishments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing with this was too, because like Motif asks him like, why do you need Xanax? He's like, oh, I'm nervous all the time. And I was like, isn't that a legitimate reason to get Xanax then? Like if you have yeah, like yep. legit problems yep. with your nerve, you don't have to pretend that you have a pee problem. Like you could just tell the doctor this. Out of curiosity, Joe, does Xanax help on a flight? Yes. Does it put you to sleep or do you? One Xanax. No, I don't sleep. I try to get through like a good, I, I find that you can't drink a lot and I'm very serious about it. I'm not like, I'm just gonna get drunk and pass out. I give it like an hour and a half and I have like one to two whiskeys and then you kind of just like coast, but you're like in control. I, I don't want to be like, 
like not in control in case I wake up when the fuselage is exploding and I don't have like <laughs> the ability to do something about it. Damn, you know? what are you going to do? I wish Joe was I was going to say that. What the hell are you going to do if a fuselage explodes? Good thing Joe's alert so he can jump out on the wing with some duct tape and <laughs> get everything done. You never There's know. Something I'll never way. give him the chance if I'm passed out. Well, Joe, if you're our, our only hope of fixing the fuselage on an airplane, yeah. I'll just hope that a priest is on board. So that Yeah, while it's out. in the air. Yeah. He looks out, there's the wings on fire. He looks forward, there's terrorists. Just like, <laughs> Joe's worst nightmare. You know it's the way I'm going to go, and that's the worst thing yep. in the world. I want to, like, I wish there was a way to have an image of whatever it is that Joe sees in the mirror. <laughs> like th- this big action star that he's like I'll, I'll save the plane oh it's yeah it's like rambo he throws two. like the cigarette on the on the ground like don't worry i got this <laughs> you never know we could be in a bank or a coffee shop or a plane and you might need my skills you just got the groundskeeper <laughs> willy body when he rips off his shirt <laughs> <laughs> grease me up woman also so what did you guys think about his example of times he gets nervous the whole bathroom thing he mentions i thought it was weird because if he's already getting a prescription like he already knows what he wants like xanax so he must have been given a prescription in the past so why even lie about the whole thing because right? then he wouldn't have a shitty episode to write about it yeah <laughs> but his whole his whole example he was saying that when he's in the bathroom and in a public bathroom and someone knocks on the door and he just goes like someone's in here someone's in here oh his voice changes he also gets really close to Motif when he's telling the story. And I wrote that down too. I don't know why he did it. It's not the only time he does it in the episode either. He has no regard for personal space at all. And it's like not part of the script. The only thing I could think of is that was a director's, you know, direction saying, you know, move in, get a little closer, get it closer. And he just like, just couldn't figure out what he meant. Like he was so close that like the vibration from his voice was probably moving this dude's cheek. Like he was like right mm. on top of him. Well, neither of them are actors and it's pretty obvious, but um, probably that he doesn't know where to stand, but they don't have like never seen the cue lines and stuff. Right. On Friends, they they said that in the early days, they they never knew quite knew where to stand. They they'd miss the X's. They all shit like that. So I mean, this is probably his first time on a sitcom or on a TV show. And- I mean, yeah, there's probably a little bit of a pass we can give them at times. He's also talking about how he's nervous because later today he has an interview with TV's Lou Cannon. And I think the dialogue between him and Motif here was like really unnatural. And then, cause like Motif at one point goes, that dude is so talented. He's rich. And I'm like, come on, people don't talk like that. Like, I actually ridiculous. thought that was kind of funny. He's so talented. He's rich. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think any of the dialogue was natural in the whole episode. <laughs> So, yeah. I mean, I honestly feel like this needs to be one of our classic The Big Show show episodes where I'm like, where you don't need to be going through this show with such problem. Or because every time you're just like, what's happening? You know, it's like I have so many opinions on this that are so wide, like all of the acting choices in this show were, right. you know, just like Jesus Christ. Yeah. When they said Luke Cannon, I thought that they, I, my brain, maybe it's because it's broken, but I kept thinking that they were going to say Luke Kang, TV's <laughs> Luke Kang. And all I can picture is like Luke Kang from Mortal Kombat. Combat. That would have been a great Luke show. Cage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish it was Luke Kane. Okay, so now do we go pitch a Mortal Kombat sitcom? <laughs> do we see if we can get the green light on this? I would green light that. Side of scene. Green light him. <laughs> yeah, this is also a motif mentioning for the first time a joke that he's working on, and it's about how there's like women who are like just regular women, and then there's problem bitches. And I bring this up because this this is like the theme of the show, because he brings up the problem bitches thing so many times. It feels like we missed something, doesn't it? Yeah. 
it feels like we missed three episodes because they go into this like it's already this established thing. It's mentioned 15 times in the episode. It's not funny. And I don't know the ethos of this for it to be funny. They lean on it. I thought this was one of the few things that maybe had some decent continuity. Actually, they bring it up here. It's an unfinished joke because he brings that. He says that he basically just has the idea of the joke, but he didn't write the joke yet. All he knows is that he wants to say problem bitches, and that's basically it. And then uh, there's where we we meet uh, Jane right after that, and she enters the doctor's office just screaming that she's not crazy, and then she hits like the hand sanitizer 20 times, which it's funny because- I know, retrospectively. <laughs> yeah, if, if someone ran in an office and did that now, you go like, oh, whatever, sanitize. We sanitize all the time now. I guess in 2014, someone hitting that so many times is a little weird. So I'll accept- like him going there with his friend. Why the fuck did she meet them? Yeah. Yes. That's what bothered yeah. me. Yeah, this is not a coffee shop. Yeah, scenario. that made no sense. Why would she meet them at the doctor's office? And uh, Jane, by the way, is played by uh, Nassim Pedrad, who was on SNL for a while. She's like an interesting case. She left. There's a ton of sitcoms. She left SNL for this show. Oh, really? Big mistake. No. Yeah, so she was, we really, because we watch, we watch SNL pretty religiously. And we, she was really funny on yeah. that show. And we found out she left to be in a sitcom with John Mulaney. We're like, that makes sense. This show will probably take off and be huge. And then now she's on a TV show on TBS. So I feel like that's not the. Best does it do the show now where she's like a little show. boy? Yeah, Chad. I think it's called the failing show. Hi, I'm Chad. <laughs> Maybe we'll 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 do that one one day. I don't think it's a sitcom. I think it's a sad thing though when you're like, whoa, you're on a TV show. What channel are you on? Like TBS, Pop TV. <laughs> <laughs> like 25 years no well pop tv did shits creek so they win they got like true. it seemed like it was gonna be bad i just don't know if anyone's gonna pull tbs out of i'll the say this no if a show is good enough it usually it transcends there's a lot of times where like one good show can pull like a, an obscure network out of like nowhere and like all of a sudden you know of yeah. this yeah and tbs is established well, i i still feel like fx would have died if always sunny like wasn't their flagship like they're everything yeah. else on fx is kind of eh. No, because they're big on dramas too, like Fargo. The Practical Jokers is coming off of like Court TV. Yeah. What is yeah. that called? True, now? TV? True TV. True TV. Yeah. True TV. So, yeah. like, if the show's good enough, people will catch on if they, you know, under the right circumstances. I like Impractical Jokers, which I think is the point of, I mean, that's the intent of these networks, right? The network wants the show to produce for them. You know, you know like that's the idea. Yeah. yeah they yeah. want it to succeed. It's like owning a team, like, right? You want the best players on your team because it boosts the, your team. So, you know, if you sign like star athletes your team is better as a result so if you have better shows on your network your network is looked at better because of the content you have within it yeah but yeah to go back to jane's character she's talking about her ex-boyfriend and how him calling her crazy is like super damaging like and that's like for women in general to be called crazy is you know a pretty damaging thing which there's truth to that and her example was she's talking about christian bale and there's video footage of him you know going crazy on a set of a movie and everyone's like oh he's so passionate good for you <laughs> and uh and then there's a rumor that katherine heigl is difficult to work with and she's basically done now in the industry i will say there's more than one little rumor there's like a lot going behind Catherine <laughs> yeah Heigl, there's but... a difference between something happening once in the heat of the moment and consistently being a bitch so. yeah ellen too has that same rap right yeah ellen's apparently very awful yeah she's a terrible human being so i'll say this this was actually and she's got a terrible sitcom that i'm sure we'll cover someday oh yeah so there's um this point here actually when jane and and Nassim's doing her, this whole bit. This is what kind of finally put the the pin on like what I thought was weird about the show in the first few minutes. And it was that John Mulaney can't act. 
Yep. And and that was I was like, why is this yeah. show so weird? And it wasn't just that it was his delivery, it's just he just can't act because she was like acting circles around him. I think I think she's very talented personally. If we're gonna compare, I don't think anybody can say that Jerry Seinfeld is a good actor. No, he's but he's good at playing that character. Right. And that's when I was I think they're trying to get John Mulaney to play somebody else when in reality he should just be playing John Mulaney. I just think he was uncomfortable. Like he didn't know how to like position himself. You can tell he's just saying the lines. He's not acting the lines. Right. Like that makes any sense but like, there's other points in the episode where he's just as awkward like when he's yeah. in front of Luke Cannon and when they're at his apartment like it's a theme throughout the whole episode maybe it's a first episode jitter type deal but like it That's, definitely yeah. comes across. I guess you have to give that kind of benefit of the doubt there, there were points the where I episode. wondered if it was like this like weird meta thing and like he was intentionally being awkward and it was like you were supposed to like accept it for what it was and that was part of the charm of the show i was like is, is this deliberate i think one of the big issues for him too and not to go too far ahead but everybody but him and i want to say martin short because martin short just always plays that way and he's good at it is everybody in this is too big like jane um, is crazy yeah. and nervous the other moffat uh, motif rather he's too big like everyone's wildly big in this show and then you've got him he seems even more meek and it doesn't work who's motif his friend his best friend no but i don't know who he is oh i said it in the, at the top in real yeah life. yeah you wouldn't know him from a lot of stuff oh, he's a, he's just like a comedian right yeah he oh, didn't okay. have like a lot of credits behind him but you want to fix that problem of everyone being too big you have the comedy at the beginning and then have it, the bit being him going into the story and then he's an unreliable narrator which could explain why everyone acts that way but yeah. they don't do that because that's good writing <laughs> i mean even when you see elliot gould later on he's even playing like super crazy character right he's playing that so wide so i want to go into from there john's finally sitting like up on the doctor's bed and um and he's talking to the doctor who immediately asks him how many times he's urinating in a day and john says 11 he thinks he's being pretty smart he's like that's a good number to you know for be for being a lot of times a day and the doctor is pretty concerned immediately because john's now trying to go into this yeah so sometimes they get nervous on planes but like the doctor's like no if you're peeing 11 times a day we need to check your prostate immediately and he spins him around the table and he gets him down and he's like originally just holding his hands on the table to bend over but yes he he's like no elbows down which gets him like really down in there he's like i like the way i was leaning before it had more dignity which i i did think that was a little bit one of the funnier things he'd said at this point i thought the scene was really good and i do like the the writing of the backfire right. right like i'm gonna go and do this thing instead of just saying what i need he ends up getting a prostate exam and his whole day is but they also do they ruin it by adding the like chevy chase moon river joke when the doctor does the prostate exam which is like just i have like don't do it don't do it don't do it and like of course they did it yeah as soon as his fingers went in there you got that loud sound that like you know they cut back to the waiting room and like jane and motif can hear it from outside the room that just seems like such a hack joke it's done so many times you know? yeah it was easy after that scene it cuts to later in the day and john's telling the man who works the front desk at luke cannon's building about what just happened is that i want to say bellhop but that's not it right like what is that security. that title of that job it's the front is desk he? doorman yeah, front desk security doorman. yeah but yeah why would you tell him that that yeah i didn't understand that yep another thing i did not understand he tells him that so that the guy can make the joke yeah exactly it's just so they can have the callback yeah. for the joke because he says like you wouldn't understand he's like no i wouldn't i don't let people put things in me <laughs> i thought that was a really good line and that's the problem too right the doorman the doctor everybody's acting circles around him and then these aren't like all big name actors it's like all these side characters all come off so much more natural so he looks even more robotic and awkward when he's talking when like when all these minor one-line characters are are doing so much better 
than you with the actual acting part of the episode, that's not a good sign. No, it's not. I mean, and and you you see that more and more as the episode goes on. Right. That like almost everybody is better than him. But like you also said that I've never seen his stand-up, so I don't know if that's kind of the shtick he plays when he's doing stand-up. So maybe it is a joke that I'm not in on. Right. But whether or not it is, it doesn't translate into the sitcom style. No, no. But I feel like if you're a fan of his sitcom and you kind of know that's his sort of brand and his character, you might be more forgiving than I am right now of it. Right. Because I know that John Mulaney's fan base, like a lot of his fan base are very hardcore fans of his. So they would love anything he does regardless. So he's got that going for him. But yeah, here it's just not working out. But we see the uh, the apartment uh, with nobody in it, which is um, Lou Cannon's apartment. It's like uh, this beautiful penthouse. And then you just, there's no one in the room that you can see at first. And then you just hear him shouting from like, you know, out of your view. And he's announcing himself like it's a late night talk show. And then you see him run out and he's kind of like starting this little monologue to nobody just within his own apartment. And as that's happening, the elevator uh, opens up because it goes straight into the penthouse. And that's when John enters. Uh, Obviously, we have to note, Lou Cannon's played by Martin Short, who's a huge get for this show. Uber, uber famous. We play the game all the time. I don't even know how I can say where I best know Martin Short from because he's just so big. Yeah, he's... Yeah, three so amigos. I'd a kid with probably three amigos. Yeah, three first, amigos. Uh, he's also one of those dudes who's like Jiminy Glick. <laughs> I, mm. uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was just gonna say Jiminy he's Glick. one of those guys who always just is Martin Short. I guess Jiminy Glick is kind of the exception, but he's also one of the only people like it would. It doesn't bother me that he's always Martin Short. Like it just always works. And in in this role in particular, this is like a perfect role for him. Throw me. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> But he's the one person who should be acting this big, and he'd be even funnier by everyone not being so big around him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, yeah. I think even this made him unfunny. Like, I didn't enjoy any of the writing. I thought he was fine. I think he does a good job with his delivery. But yeah, when um when Lou finds out that uh, John's there because they have, like, the interview today, he, he goes over to, like, his table, where he's one of those, like, conference call type phones, and he just asks his assistant, Donna, who this is. And I was like, is this on in his apartment at all times? Like, she's just listening to him 24-7, waiting for him to speak and donna is um julia klesner she was an snl writer too you only hear her voice but you hear it a bunch of times and she's actually funny i think she, her character is funny in this because it's just this almost like james bond villain voice in the background all the time but she's the head writer and creator of um billy on the street speaking of true tv comedies and it's like i know we're over analyzing and delving into a lot of these like little minute aspects especially for a sitcom but in theory too if john mulaney was interviewing for a job on this show it, he would not be interviewing with Luke Cannon. It would be like an executive producer on the show or something. You yeah. would not be going to Luke Cannon's house. Interview like seven would be with Maybe. Luke Cannon. Like you talk, you hear of all these people that were like interns on shows like Conan O'Brien and stuff and like have these jobs and it takes them, you know, years before they might meet, might even meet the guy. Yeah, I know David Letterman's famous for people had to like avoid him because he would run in the hallways before shows like for exercise and people have like, there's all these stories of people like diving out of the way. Like you couldn't say hi to him. You couldn't like interrupt him. It's like, weird shit have you seen the cover art for this show like what would be on the dvd if you were to buy for some reason the dvd it's martin short and then behind him like (laughs) 
is John Mulaney. Like, is Martin Short peeking in up front? He's faded on it, and, and Mulaney's character is um, right, yeah. clear. So it is to, it's made to look like he's trying to overshadow him. So, but yes. And I like that um, <laughs> he, when he calls him John Mulele. I don't know why. That, <laughs> that was very Martin Short. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's playing Martin Short for sure. And then he's like, oh, the comedian from the internet, 1,200 views, impressive. And it was like, oh, that's oh. not that. Is that the joke that that's not an impressive number? I mean, I would love 1,200 views on yeah. any of our stuff. And then he asked, he asked him, like, did you write all those little mean things underneath too? He's like, oh, no, those are my fans. I do like the idea, though. Like, again, this is where, like, some of the writing works for me, where it's like, okay, so you're setting up Martin Short and needs somebody who's, like, different and younger to come in and be, like, a different voice for writing for him. But he's also so out of touch that he thinks that the views that that's a lot of views right he doesn't like get the whole thing or he yeah he doesn't understand how it works so it actually is the only way that he would ever get a job because in the real world you know with view counts like ours you don't get hired when he's doing like the fake monologue before john even walks in he's like oh good to see all the young people here hashtag because he doesn't know what he doesn't know what a hashtag is yeah and then right here's like another really another awkward joke and this was what i can equate this to is there was a lot of jokes that they want to put in the episode and they have to find setups to just get them in there so here for no reason it's just like you look disheveled oh that's because i just took the subway when i got off the subway there was a wheelchair on its side and there was no one in it so i assume something really bad must have happened but you hope it was a miracle and i mean the line the line was kind of funny but that was supposed to be on purpose though because what was he gonna say like i just got fucking a finger shoved up my butt he wasn't worried about telling it to the other guy yeah i just told it to the door yeah, guy. he seems to not be bashful about telling the story so but i just thought that that like that whole thing was the wheelchair joke he was like that'll be funny to throw in there how do i get that in there is that one of his jokes i don't know it has that to I don't be, know. yeah i mean like it's not from any of his stand-up okay. i don't think but I- i've seen all of his stand-up specials again his stand-up is very good he's very funny i'll take your word but for I feel it like he's just trying to push jokes in here i said i'll take your word for it and then after that we uh we get back to um the uh john's apartment where motifs alone at the time and i wasn't sure of this i i think she is but does jane also live there i wasn't sure I couldn't tell. She's a neighbor. I, think. I wasn't sure if any of them lived there. I know I find you find out later that like they're roommates, but I I don't know if they were all just hanging during the whole. Um, can I be your emergency contact? He's like, well, yeah, sure. You're my roommate, so why not? Oh, okay. I think again, very much like a Seinfeld scenario. She is a neighbor of theirs. Got it. And like, because she mentions Elliot Gould at one point, she's like the other neighbor across the street, like they across the way. Like I think they all live in the building. So yeah. So uh, Motif is uh, he's alone in the house until Jane shows up, and she's carrying a box of. Th- things that was like from her exes but they're like things she stole from him that were like to make him like less of an embarrassing person as she says it wasn't like oh you left these things in my house these were things she consciously was taking from him and there was like a, a hoodie vest and a statue of buddha and she's like you're from maryland and you yell at video games you're not a buddhist and motif tries to retrieve the hoodie vest because uh, he thinks it's actually pretty cool he's like oh that's pretty tight and then jane says that she wishes she could remember his password or i'm sorry unremember his password so she she would stop going through his emails and motif offers to change it and not tell her but jane makes it known that she would be able to pry it out of him and then she's like i'll show you my butt and he goes that's the password which i mean that worked for what it was but did it well my my thing <laughs> i don't think it did there was 
weird to me with that was that wouldn't work. If he changed the password for her and her ex saw his password was changed, he would just change his password because he needs to know his password. It's not like he has email oh, that he can yeah. access no matter what the password is. So like he has to be aware of it. I was it. thinking the same thing. It's a huge logic flaw. If she keeps changing this dude's password, he's going to keep changing it as Should've well. Should have just deleted his email account. Even if he changes it from Guy Ritchie 5 to Guy Ritchie 6, like she'll probably figure it out. <laughs> I also feel like the whole thing was a cop-out. There has to be other ways to promote that a girl is crazy besides reading his emails. That's such an easy thing to do. Like, there had to be another way to do that. Sounds like something a crazy person would say. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that, right? But uh, I just felt like that was one of those... I, I think that situation works, but the changing of the password thing just voids all logic. So how do you... How do you work with that? Doesn't I don't work. know. I feel like we're one of our classic overanalyzing scenarios here. But I'll say this. I actually thought the dialogue between the two of them was really good at the time. Like, take the logic part away, right? I thought there was a smoothness to the two of them going back. And that was another moment as I was watching it for the first time that clicked with me. I was like, oh, this is the first scene John's not in. And this is why the dialogue is going more natural. Because you don't have him to awkward up the fucking interview. Or not the interview, but the scene. Like, he he's so stiff and, like, uncomfortable that two other people talking without him standing there came off more like a normal sitcom. Yeah, it's that's an interesting point, I guess, if you think of all the scenes where he's not... But again, I think he's fine in certain scenes, too. I don't know if he, maybe it's the dynamic. Maybe he wanted these people because, like, he obviously knows uh, her from working at SNL together, right? It's like, maybe it was an issue of wanting people you really like to be on the show, even though you don't necessarily have the chemistry. And then people not saying, hey, that's a bad idea, which could have doomed the whole thing, right? Like, if you don't have chemistry with people, I think everyone's doing a decent job though and I and I'm and we're saying like from the supporting cast like the mainstays to the minor roles like the doorman and the doctor and he didn't have chemistry with anybody so at some point you have to be like it's probably him oh, that's fair yeah. yeah I don't think it's any I think he's the uh the detrimental part of this whole thing and it he makes it weird yeah you suck John Mulaney <laughs> Jesus, John Winnie just learned earned the uh, join the club with uh, Queen Latifah, and he's at the top of the club. He's the wow. club president. Wow, wow, Impressive. top of the club. When he gets out of rehab, he's gonna be real pissed. Yeah, <laughs> he's not only a member; he's the president. <laughs> so uh, we do cut back to Lou's apartment, where um, it's him and John, and he's like, uh, uh, Lou tells John, "I want to give you a little speech." So listen, and, and the start of it is him talking about, "I'm 45 years old," which they really let that laugh drag on. Clearly, Martin Short is at the time of the of this episode was in his like early to mid 60s. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I get the joke, but they like they let that joke simmer for a while they 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 absorbed every bit of that laugh they could get they hold a little too long on that yeah but then he tells them you know can you guys explain his character to me by the way like is he supposed to be like washed up and like he's trying or is it like because that's what i thought and then there was a lot of people at his his event so i'm like i got a little confused no, I get the vibe that he's yeah, a celebrity. He's up. I think he's still pretty. Popular. He's probably not at his peak. I don't want to necessarily because he has a because he has the talk show and the game show. Not quite a Regis, but maybe that level of fame. Okay, where like maybe your maybe your peak years are behind you, but you're you're kind of like forever popular. Case in point, Steve. Like think of like a Steve Harvey. Like yeah, stand up comedian okay. had a great yeah. television show. 
and now he just does like a game show because he has the notoriety to pull in viewers for a game show because he can throw out a, a yeah. laugh here and there. Yeah, that's a great comparison. Good call. Thank you. Yeah, that's a good call. Survey says, <laughs> show me dildo. Show me cancel. <laughs> yeah, to go, to go back to the speech, he, he tells him about, he points at all his awards that he has. And he's like, you know, you can be where I am if you're just willing to learn. And John explains that he's been, you know, anxious being comedies almost 30 years old and he still hasn't had a real job uh, in the industry. And, you know, I'll do an excellent job if you give me the opportunity. Did I say opportunity? I said it weird. Opportunity. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways, Lutz says that level of sincerity will take you exactly to the middle. It was actually, I thought that was a pretty good line. As he's, I think he's really good here. The whole thing with the Emmys in the mirror really made me chuckle. Yeah, he's playing the character the way it should be, which is the Martin Short way, I guess. And I don't want to just keep picking John Mulaney apart, but I have to note it here because I wrote it down when it was happening. During the speech- He's going to come looking for you. During the speech by uh, Lou Cannon- John Mulaney doesn't know where to stand. And he was like standing like very stiff and like he didn't know where to be at all times. And again, this could be being new to the sitcom thing, but it was like very like notable when I was watching. I had a hard time avoiding the fact that he didn't know where to stand. Like Ricky Bobby. I don't know what to do with my hands. (laughs) (laughs) I think that that has more to do with Martin Short's character than anything like that. I can kind of give him a pass on because Martin Short is acting so eccentric. He might have been just running around wild and not being on his own cues. That's very possible. Yeah. And I mean, what are you going to do? Tell Martin Short you can't do X, Y, and Z? Like, so he probably had an idea and then said, no, 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 Let me just, let me deal with this. I would have uh, liked this show a lot more if he was, in fact, Jiminy Glick. (laughs) He was going to work for him. (laughs) There was, uh, at this point, too, this is when he gives him the job. He tells him that he's hired, and uh, Donna from over the speakerphone just goes, Mazel Tov. I thought that was funny. That was all right. I do like her just being a listening at all times. Present voice. Lou tells John about like this upcoming benefit that he's performing at and he offers him a chance to open up and it's uh, for the Marsha Foundation. It's a breast cancer walk that he founded and named after his hairdresser, Marsha, who isn't sick or have breast cancer. He just thought she would get a kick out of it. And I did find that joke funny, but there was also like a point that I was like, ooh, yikes, that's a that's a tough one. But imagine if that joke was delivered by Jiminy Glick, how much funnier it would <laughs> <See>? be. <laughs> she doesn't actually have that breast that cancer. This <laughs> <laughs> show's already ten times better. <laughs> like, okay, so we've recasted two of the roles to Steve Harvey and Jiminy yeah. Glick. <laughs> this show's really going in a new yeah, direction. So now after that, later that night, John enters his apartment and tells Motif and Jane that he got the job. Jane mentions that the old man from across the hall came by looking for him. And John says, oh, uh, he has to go there to fill his humidifiers. He has one in the bedroom and one in the living room, and they're really deep, so you have to fill them in the bathtub. And I was like, what the fuck is that? Like, why? Like, yeah. what a long, weird explanation. I don't know if that's a joke. Like, is, are we swinging for a joke there? Yeah. But it's not funny. It I seems unnecessary. It feels was. like just filling time. This was another example, by the way, of John not knowing personal space because Jane's like on the couch on the end, like leaning towards them. And he walks up so close that like his dick is just like two inches from her the whole time. <laughs> Because he's like just standing over and I'm like, just take a step back, man. You'll still be in the shot. We film widescreen now. 
Well, maybe he's going from he's trying to make such an 80s sitcom that he's in his brain filling it in standard def and he's not doing it in widescreen. So, uh, yeah, and John also asked Moti for a favor. He was supposed to do a spot on this Hudson River cruise boat thing like in a week, but he can't do it anymore because he's going to be doing that show at Lou. He tells him that I paid $75. Motif's down because it's an opportunity for him to sell those problem bitch t-shirts that he just had made. It's still a joke that he's yet to write, but he I couldn't help but think like the show is so obscure now, like already a few years later that I might buy a problem bitch shirt if I found one on like on like Redbubble or something. I had a similar thought. I was like, somebody has to have made them, right? Probably. Well, Jay, if you ever achieve your dream of being a screen printer, you can uh, you can whip some up. I can, I can go for broke hoping that the uh, 20 people that are diehard Mulaney fans buy my problem bitch t-shirts. Yeah. And then uh, someone knocks at the door and John looks through the peephole and he's like, bad news, guys. It's Andre. And then Andre enters and goes, it's Andre. And the first thing that came to my <sighs> mind one. in my note that I wrote as I was watching this is, Ferg, how much did you hate this guy the second he came in? Second. <laughs> he walked in. That was bad. He was like really, yeah. really bad. Yeah, he's very eccentric. I mean, he's Newman. Like, no, no, he's Kramer. He is neither. No, everybody hates him. He's Newman. Newman. Everybody doesn't hate Newman. Only Jerry hates Newman. Yeah, Newman's still friends. Like, that's Kramer true. and Newman yeah, yeah. are friends. No, he's definitely the, the crazy, zany one out of all of them that comes in. There are points where we need to stop trying to think everything was directly made to look like Seinfeld. He's Kramer. He might, he might not be either of them, but uh, <laughs> his character is so annoying. He does yeah. remind me of other characters on television, and I'm drawing a blank as I say that, but he's he's very eccentric and out there and super annoying and he kind of looks like if i was even fatter and a hipster it reminds me of the fat redhead from ap bio i still haven't watched that and i'm sure we'll cover that show on here one day but i can't play he's not in the latest seasons he's in the early seasons and he's just mysteriously gone he's the one who uh he tries to date the mother and he he gets mad about it yeah and that kid sucks too and again you can't you find out he's just a, a weed dealer and they make it like it's this huge like i don't know i don't personally i was wondering that because well yeah so his initial his initial um dialogue back and forth with jane who clearly does not like him it's like why is he here and he's like oh i can't just stop by without telling you and she's like no that's not how drug dealers work and when he asks john what's their problem he goes oh she's just going through a breakup also you're very unpleasant and that was probably the first john line that like really got me i really like that one <laughs> that was that was a good line and it's true but again that's the writing there is just like make this character everybody somebody genuinely hates but has like go home heat so that when somebody makes fun of him you get a cheap laugh out of it like what are we doing yeah. here but also don't you know a thousand i know 50 people who sell weed you know what i mean like really? why would you surround yourself with somebody you live in new york city you can't find somebody to sell you weed who you don't hate right you're not trying hey, to you want to buy some of this weed right here <laughs> <laughs> just down the road huh so yeah because like andre who's like flirting with jane explains that he's not going to sell weed forever that once his grandmother and his parents all die that he's going to come into quite a bit of money and i'm thinking 2014 might might have been a little different less states were legal with uh with marijuana at the time but this was new a 2014. york just went legal 2014 wasn't it that seems way too far away. i think it was this was october 2014 it doesn't matter yeah. though because new york was Jeez, and uh, time new, new york i believe last i think 2020 they just went legal yeah, yeah i think massachusetts went legal in like 2016 I think it was only California or Colorado. Yeah, but even when we lived in places where it wasn't legal, that were smaller cities than New York City, we knew like forty people right. who you would hate less than. Oh, this of course, guy. You could of course. House. I would say that you know, in today's world, if 
Andre is still selling weed in New York, he might need a second job because it can't be that lucrative these days now that you could buy weed everywhere. But Or you just exclusively sell to like kids and that's a weird, sketchier job. That's now. a tough business model. <laughs> well, maybe his parents died and now he has the now money. Now he has all that money, yeah. That's true. We, we've had a few years here. Uh, motif suggests that Andre should change the password because she's never going to want to have to initiate conversation with him to get the new one. But again, I'm like, oh, don't go back to that because there wasn't any logic in the password changing thing to begin with. No. But don't double down on it. But I don't think they picked up on that when they wrote it, so they went back to it. And now from there, we cut to Lou's office at the studio, and Lou's sitting at his desk, and John sitting across from him telling him that he wrote a lot of jokes for him. Lou explains that first, it's important that he learns his voice and to know how to write for him, which, I mean, that makes sense. He's like, I'm intelligent, but I can be silly, and he likes a fast delivery with a slow punchline. He does it like, like, that was like his, tell jokes that go that way. And then he asks him if he's ever watched his one man show divorce and other aphrodisiacs and when john tells him that he didn't see it he immediately just starts doing it from the very beginning this is another good martin short joke too where he's like i was a prepubescent it was like 1982 or something right? he just like keeps throwing out these insanely arbitrary years that make no sense to, to make him age. younger yeah and then you get the seven hour later screen and it's him still like finishing up this whole like uh one man show but now it's three minutes before he needs to go on air and he, he never looked at any of john's jokes john hands him like the piece of paper and he just kind of lets the paper go and fall to the ground immediately he's like i don't really need you to write jokes he's like then what am i doing here he's like that's good i'll use that what am i doing here <laughs> everyone loves a catchphrase and he's like you know we're really vibing so uh you know if what you know we'll just go with that if it wasn't for me you'd be bombing on that cruise ship tonight which cut to motif on stage doing a little bit of the problem bitch joke which is a very like typical you know if you don't think there's a problem bitch in your group then you're the problem bitch and he just kind of stood there and i couldn't tell it didn't do enough with the audience sound to know if that was a bomb or if people liked it. Like it was like it got some laughs, but it didn't seem like powerful enough, I guess. They should have just borrowed the fake laugh track from the show for it. Yeah. <laughs> We're like struggling to say things. It's so funny. After that, we go to the the walkathon for the Masha Foundation and you know, John and Jane are talking backstage and you can see how much money that they put into this show. Like, and I mean that the sitcom, when you look at like these setups and stages, like everyone there has like the custom walkathon shirt on. And I don't know. I just felt like every time you saw a set, there was a lot of like detail put into it. So I think when you look at the cast and all the money that went into these sets, they really, really expected the show to be like a gigantic hit. Yeah, I thought that they they were betting the farm on this is what it kind of looked like to me. Because like, like you said, that's what stood out to me the most was the size of the crowd and all of the uh, shirts that they had on. Yeah, they really put all their money on Santa's little helper. <laughs> From last week's episode, <laughs> for those of you who want to listen back. So uh, John asked Jane why she's there because it's obvious not to support him. And Jane's like, no, of course not. He's like, my, um, she's like, my ex actually lives on this street, but she wants to show him that she moved on by like just walking by and him seeing that she's part of this walkathon and says that like, would a woman with nothing going on immerse herself in charity work, which gets the awkward pause. Yes. Yes, it would. <laughs> and, uh, she then leaves to walk by his window one last time. She's, you know, very obsessed with this guy. She's definitely crazy. Yes. I wonder if later on in the show, you see the guy, like, I wonder if there's ever a payoff. Yeah. I was curious because you, you thought you were going to see him like through the window later, but you didn't, you didn't get it. And I was like, oh, come on. Like, yeah. what does this guy look like? No, cause she got her closure. There'd be no reason to bring him back. Well, you, you want to see this guy in like the way that these jokes tell, like he's, you know, he's going to be like super ugly. Like that's how like I picture it. Like you're going to wonder who she's, 
Yeah, he's not who she's obsessing over, and he's going to be like a just a dud, like just no one that you would want to spend that much energy pining after. That's how I picture it, but who knows? It should be Jiminy Glick. Oh, hello, Jane. Hello, ladies. Do you know how much this show would turn around for all of us <laughs> if you do see the boyfriend as Martin Short as Jiminy Glick? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Jane, so good to There's see you again. There's green lights in the world for that to happen. <laughs> but uh, so while John's standing there, he gets a call from Donna, Lou's assistant, and she tells him Lou has a special announcement. He uh, wants him to read when he gets up on the uh, on stage to read to the crowd or warm them up. And as she's saying that, like this like stagehand just like hands the note to him. And I was like, then why did Donna have to call him? Like, why couldn't the guy with the note just be like, here, Lou wanted you to say this on stage? But I guess I'm at a point where I need to stop trying to find logic in the things happening on the show. Probably for the best. So now John, without reading this note, just jumps right up on stage. And he's like, who's ready to laugh? I can't hear you. And, he's, and he does. The, I, I do like that he acknowledges like, you know, that's not obviously true, but cheer louder. So that's when John reads the note and um, Lou can't be there. And uh, the show is canceled. But for $25, you can take a photo at Lou's cardboard replica. But the crowd's actually still pretty excited. Yeah, they get pumped. Yeah, yeah. they're stoked on it. It was like they didn't even feel bad that he's not going to be there. They're so excited to now pay $25 to take a picture with a cardboard cutout. Why didn't he at least do his yeah, stand-up? If that was free, it would be funny, right? I guess if you were like, I don't know, if we were somewhere and just to use Steve Harvey as the example again, right? And so it was like, hey, do you want to take a picture with the Steve Harvey cutout? Everybody would take a picture right. with it, right? I don't think anybody would pay for I would it, I would pay $25 to take a picture with it. That's what I'm saying. You know what? Gordo might. No, 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 no. To be fair. <laughs> Gordo might immediately. To be fair. <laughs> to be, to fair, be fair. It is to be fair. for charity. <laughs> So if you are no, the really, walk is the money to that isn't. But I I would assume that the money would also go to charity. So if you did something goofy like that, you know, uh, maybe not twenty five bucks, but I get them like maybe five bucks. But you, you get what I mean, right? I suppose. I, I suppose that that would think that. Yeah, I could say if they're saying it's an additional charity thing, maybe they can put one in one of the dunk tanks and you can dunk the cardboard. Well, you can't do that for too long until it just falls apart. The one lucky person. But again, we're trying to, to find logic and illogical things, I think. But uh, he then walks backstage again and he asks the guy who handled the note initially, he's like, what the hell just happened? And as that's going on, Jane runs up with like a handful of like these rooted flowers that she pulled out of the ex's window box. And she said that she had planted those last year and he doesn't get to enjoy those with his new girlfriend. And he's like, I thought you wanted closure. He's like, I wanted justice, white boy, which is the second time someone's called white boy. Like, in um, because we got that in Mad About You as well when Helen Hunt called Paul Reiser yeah, white yeah. boy. But at least in this one, it's a- She's not white. Is that a white person saying it to another white person? Yeah. She, she now sees that he's home and runs off. Also in this scene too, he brings down the cardboard with him, yeah. short off the stage, behind the stage, where I don't imagine people will be going. Do you think that if you were doing a photo op, you'd do Get it, it on, stage, on the yeah. stage? He also has it when he goes home. Yeah. Yeah, he takes it home. <laughs> So uh, yeah, the stagehand now needs to get that like um, lapel mic off of him. So reflecting on what just happened up on stage, he's telling the guy that he can't remember the last time he was this humiliated. And then that's when the stagehand like has him bend over and right on his elbows, just like he had to do in the doctor's office. He's like, oh, now I can remember. And that's when you get like uh, Lou's doorman walk out of nowhere eating a snow can snow cone and just like looks at him. Just shakes his head at him. I got a laugh out of this. It was, I liked it. Like I liked the weird look he got, but the setup and the idea that you have to like get on your elbows to take a lapel mic off seemed a little extreme it's, oh here's my lapel mic yeah <laughs> it doesn't have to be. i put lapel mics on people you don't take them off 
like that. You don't you don't do that. They you let them do it. Maybe you've been doing it wrong this whole time. Yeah, no, you don't <laughs> no. No, I mean you might unplug the uh the, the microphone wire, but it's just a it's just a thing on your back that and then a wire that goes around to the front, right? Yeah. 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 It's yeah. just like a beeper that has a wired connection. Yeah. That you put usually under because the point is you're supposed to put it under your clothes and pin it to like where your where your voice emanates from. So But uh from there we get back to the apartment and Motif tells John, you know, he's I'm sorry what happened. I'm having a rough week too. I sold out of all my problem bitch t shirts. And uh, that's when he says that, you know, the cruise was pretty successful. He knew his jokes would conquer land, but see? That was kind of funny. That was funny. I, I I don't know if that joke was funny. Actually, it was the next joke that he said that I thought was pretty funny. Because he said that the problem is he still doesn't have an end to the problem bitch joke yet. And now it's out there in the zeitgeist. So, like, now he has limited time to figure out the ending of this joke before it's too late. But I, what I don't understand is he's coming back from this charity thing. He comes in with the thing. And wasn't the whole reason he went to the, he was on the show ship was because he couldn't work there yeah but it was only like a hudson river cruise those are like those like three hour just go out on the boat real quick you know it's not like an actual cruise he's not gonna be gone for days three yeah hour tour. yeah it's like a local booze cruise thing like one night or yeah and that's when uh jane runs out with a tablet and she's excited to read an, another one of her ex's emails titled bad news so it reads like so psycho which she's probably like that's me showed up today and ripped out the flowers she planted she's like that i planted he gave me credit like so she she's a, a complete psycho and then uh, the new girl writes back and says, you know, he should call the cops. He says, relax. She tells him that he has no balls. And then he writes, do you know what you are? A problem, bitch. I almost miss Jane because crazy calms down, but a problem, bitch, is forever. And that's the time. I actually, it's cringy, but I liked that there was a closure to the problem, bitch joke. Nobody talks like that. <laughs> no, but I feel like the best story arc, the best arc of this entire show is the arc the joke has. Like the most fulfilling thing that happens in this is the story of the joke, a non-sentient thing. You know, that's a weird thing in a multi-cast, like person cast. Because he's excited. He's like, my joke has an ending. But then she yells like, I have closure. And it's like, no, you don't have closure. You're going to read his emails even more now because... You, now you're finding trouble in the water there with him and his girls, so now you're waiting for this opening. Even though, as we've discussed, no one would be in those emails right now. Yeah. They also left out how she got the email address. Well, no, that's that next, because that. that's oh. that's when it was like, I thought Andre had the password. How did you even read that email? And that's when he comes out of, like, the bedroom or something, goes, he did. And he, like, <laughs> is it is it John that just goes, like, ah, yuck. <laughs> Which, again, I, I don't know. Saying yuck at the response of someone walking out I actually found kind of funny. These are the moments where he the best of this he does little things like that and it is very funny that's funny so apparently jane begged him and said that she would do anything for it so he asked to hang out at your apartment and that's and he has that oh i should have asked for more i would have respected the show way more if she banged him for it yeah yeah so like the jokes i I, really? I, yeah i liked i liked his like sobering moment where he realized that he could have if he asked but instead just asked to hang at the apartment because he like blank face like oh no what did i do but there would have been something funny i guess if like there was a running joke for future episodes about how she slept with andre like that would be like yeah. a funny like future runner that they could always go to that's what would have really dialed in the crazy if she yeah just to yeah. get the password but you could also do future things too where he's always trying to do things for her and then always fucks up and doesn't ask for the sex too right like there's a bunch of different ways that could go if the show keeps going so i, I kind of like what they did because i don't know you can take that a few different avenues i guess and then like donna calls john and donna tells tell first off 
tells him to like put me on speakerphone, which I thought was it was like a weird way to address that. Like he's like, sorry, I didn't want you on speakerphone. Oh, you want me to put you on speakerphone? Like just answer the phone on speakerphone and don't address it. But whatever. And then apparently Lou has another job for him, and he goes, oh, what happened? Did cardboard Lou kill an escort? Which again, stupid, but I found funny. Yeah. So I think at this point they actually do have yeah they have a few like hits uh, all coming in towards the end here like I don't know it's not like everything's sequential when the writers are writing everything down but there are a few jokes that are landing to me at this point she's like oh I know how you felt like because I was a writer too before I got promoted so so in in this world you start as a writer and then you get promoted to assistant like where you think writing is supposed to be like propel you into like your own career in entertainment but that's that's not quite how it works out here but then this is what I thought was weird because it cuts to more of John Mulaney doing stand-up at a really awkward time in the episode you're like three quarters into the episode and now you're gonna go back to him doing stand-up yeah they didn't bookend Seinfeld did do this occasionally only in the first couple of seasons though they didn't do that after the first season yeah but they do it enough that it's the thing they've done right and I'm saying like it's another weird copy from Seinfeld that makes no sense (laughs) yeah yeah it doesn't need to be Seinfeld yeah but yeah I thought it was um I thought it was weird and then the joke is about how he's straight but he was definitely gay when he was a young boy but like not in a sexual way and he's he's like kind of like an old gay man and he was just he was you know doing an impersonation of just a more flamboyant i was just kind of thinking of um oh what's his name it escapes me on the birdcage oh robin williams nathan lane not nathan lane like okay. he was doing that he was like doing like that kind of yes, style <laughs> but that was like what it was and it just i i don't know i I, I assume that would have been coming off of a commercial break, but I thought it killed a little bit of the momentum they had right there. Momentum. Uh, I thought there were a couple jokes that landed in that kitchen scene that they didn't have going for them earlier. It was an awkward breakup of, of the show. That would have been better at the end. Yeah, like close it out. Yeah, that didn't need to sit again, not to be like, oh, that's Seinfeld, but it didn't need to serve to be in a lead in to another character. Right. And then I think that's maybe why they did that, because the next scene you're introduced into, well, they don't address it directly, but I think you're made to believe that Oscar is a gay man. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And he's an older yeah. gay guy. So it's that's sort of where he was writing. I don't know if he wrote that bit for this or if he just had it and it served the... Yeah, because that's what it led into. But yeah, so John walks into the hallway and at the same time, that's when his neighbor Oscar who's giving his fern a timeout for being a diva. Uh, they meet because they're coming out of their doors at the same time. Oscar played by Elliot Gould. We talked about that earlier. He's also in a million things, but for me, that's Monica and Ross's dad on Friends. You know what's weird? I want to say it's MASH, but I immediately go to American History X, and I feel like that's a weird movie to immediately go to. Yeah. And he's like, his scenes in it are like rough. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's not the best movie. Also, um... Famously married to Barbara Streisand for a while. Barbara Streisand is one of those people who's had such a weird grouping of like husbands and boyfriends where she's dated like Chris Christopherson and Gene Simmons and Elliot Gould. What? What's making it through all the old Jews of Hollywood? I don't know if Christopherson is though. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, <laughs> not a Jewish no. cowboy. Gene Simmons, for Gene sure. Gene Simmons, Elliot Gould. For sure, yeah. Gene. But in any event, uh, Oscar invites him in for tea. And then he's like, oh, I pay $80 a month for this apartment. I want people to be able to enjoy it. He's like, you pay what? <laughs> and that's what happens. There's a lot of, 
a lot of situations like that in the world where people are under whatever programming and stuff. So you're paying near $2,000. Actually, in New York in 2014, he's probably paying like over $3,000 a month for that apartment. Oh, yeah. But he's got rent control because he's been yeah. there so long. Yeah, I was going to say rent control. I wouldn't call that a, a, a program. Yeah, that's just like a you dig in like a tick and you never leave. Yeah. No, no, no. I took that as rent control that he's Might just be. been there for so yeah, long. Yeah, that's what I got from it. He tells Oscar that he's working for a big comedian now and he's like, do you know Lou Cannon? He goes, is he the one that's John Stewart? I feel like that would, that's, <laughs> that's like explaining things to your parents. I thought yeah. that actually was funny to me. And he's like pretty spacey hippie guy anyway. So like, I think him not knowing something makes yeah, it sort of tracks. I didn't even pick up on that he was gay at first. I thought he was just eccentric. Like, Well, they don't address it directly. So like, it, no, it's when he says the, the fireman line is when I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I kind of got the line when he said his fern was acting like a diva. Like, yeah, you know, like in, in the way he delivered it. But yeah, John, especially because it, it and I think because it came straight off the heels of him doing his stand-up about a, being an old gay man. So then when you see that character right after, like, how do you not draw that comparison? Exactly. Yeah, it's hard to not, not to put A to B there. Yeah. So now John tells Oscar that this job isn't what he wanted it to be, and, you know, it feels pointless. And John tells, I'm sorry, Oscar tells John the story about his tea tray and how he got it in Turkey during his Wall Street days, which he's like, oh, you worked in Wall Street? He's like, yeah, that's where my bike shop was. He went to Turkey for like banana seat covers. He found out that the dealer was a crook. And while he was there, he just happened to find this tea tray in a store. So he's he'll never regret the trip to Turkey because he found something valuable out of it. And he tells John he just needs to find the tea tray at this job. I actually thought, although the story was weird, but the the moral behind it was decent. Yeah. Yeah. The finding the good in the situation. Always a, a good moral. I was just going to say, it's always a good moral story. So, you know, to, to add those little kernels in there. Yeah. But he's like, what if I can't find the tea tray in this job? He's like, then quit. He's like, but if you do yeah. quit, make a scene. He's like, every time I quit a job, they have to call the cops. But why quit? Like, you're getting paid at least. Stay there till you find something better. Yeah. You know, I think he's so eccentric, though, that he probably quits because. No, I'm just saying for John Mulaney, it's like he's acting it's the worst thing in the world. He's getting paid to hang out. Oh, for John Mulaney, yeah, no, he should stay there because that probably pays way better than any job he's ever had. Even if the job's not fulfilling, it's a good one for the resume to be like, oh, I worked for Luke Cannon for like the last yeah. five years, you know, as his assistant or whatever it was. I was a writer for him. So even if yeah. he's not using his jokes, like who knows that? Like you just take credit yeah, for the good ones. But also like think of the last time you had a really hard day at work and you were like, I'm going to lose my mind. And then someone said, what do you do for a job that's so stressful? And you didn't say, I write jokes. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know I mean? yeah. I get a lot of money to write I like jokes. food. It's like, stop complaining, man. I'm the pillow tester. It's like... <laughs> and it's literally like after less than a day, right? Right. Like he gives it yeah. no chance whatsoever. Or a week. I think it was one week at this point. Yeah, but... I think it did cut at one point, yeah. but still, either way. But uh, the next scene is we're, at, we're back at that studio, but now we're at like the set for the game show that Lou is a host for. And Lou's like, uh, well, John wants to talk. And Lou's like, well, can you just stand there? Because uh, our stand-in isn't there yet. He's running late. So he wants to get some test shots before the show. And John's like, no, I want to have like a serious conversation with you. He's like, yeah, that's fine. But just like stand there. And I think with all the chaos and moving parts of what was going on, he just kind of complied. And uh, Lou's like, I'll just stand here. And he like walks up to the podium. And then all of a sudden, like the the lights and the music hits, like the game show is underway because they are doing like their test run. He's got a very good way of manipulating him, which is right. fun to watch. Like he, he is a good manipulator to get anybody to do anything he wants. And no one around him in his circle seems to have any way of saying no, which I think does give you some good 
comedic situations. Yeah. He pays the bills. And John tells him that he's been there a week and every night he just stays up there till 6 a.m. watching him eat pudding and riff and he hasn't gotten to do any stand-up and he wants to know what's in it for him. And then Lou's response is like, and for the answer, let's go to Dean Kane. And this, I got a chuckle out of this. I did. <laughs> Photosynthesis. Too, yeah. Only laugh I got in the whole episode. Was yeah, because like, Dean Kane pops up on the screen. Yeah, and he and he's just like, and my final answer is photosynthesis or whatever. He, however, he phrased it. <laughs> Side note: I love how Dean Kane has made a career out of being Dean Kane. <laughs> like after he just became a parody of himself at one point, and I don't hate it. Like it's not a bad thing. It's just he's always just been Dean Kane. After like, what was that Superman thing? He did yeah. Lois and Clark, and then he did what was that? Yeah. That Ripley's believe, believe it or not. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ripley's, Ripley's believe it or not. Yeah. And then ever since then, he's just been appearing as himself in a kitchen. I'm dinner. pretty sure that if you look him up, he's done one or two Hallmark movies. Definitely. Oh, yep. for sure. Yeah, yeah. A lot of Christmas shit. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like he only works like every July to film one Christmas movie. Yeah. <laughs> And he just fulfills his year that way. God bless. After the after the Dean Kane thing happens, because uh, Lou goes, you guessed it, which is the show. John's like, yeah, there's nothing here for me. And he just goes to walk off immediately. And then Lou kind of chases him down. He's like, before you leave, can you just proofread the cue cards? And that's when John sees that he's actually using some of his jokes. So now he's excited. He's like, oh, you're going to be reading my jokes on TV, which for him was just actual like genuine excitement that his work is being used. But Lou thought that this was just more of a, oh, you want money. So it was like, yeah, hold on you want to be paid i get it so he has them shoot off the money cannon that they use on the show and all this money flies at them i like that too yeah and also the way he says it too like he's like franco money <laughs> cannon one yeah. blast yeah. and then uh he picks up a hundred dollar bill and he's like no no not that he switches that out for a 20 i think like actual jokes being used it's a hundred dollars that's that's worth a hundred bucks I was right i gonna say the, the going rate for jokes must be really low twenty dollars yeah but he's, I'm assuming he's on like some sort of a salary as well. I think so. they just used the pay scale for whatever they paid the writers on this show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So now uh, John agrees to be back tomorrow because he found his tea tray referencing back to his, you know, conversation with Oscar. And Lou obviously has no idea what that means. And he goes, ah, yes, that is so tea tray. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Martin Short really does uh, really does save this show. Lou tells him that the industry has its ups and downs. He's like, like that problem bitch guy. He's like, one week his joke is sweeping the nation and the next he's our stand-in. And now you see Motif is the stand-in guy that was late. And he's like, hey, Mulaney. He's like, mention me. And uh, that's it. That's uh, That was how that episode closed out. I thought it was like a d- decent button, by the way, to close out the episode. It wasn't like an un- like an awkward joke. It like it it all full circled, at least. Yeah, I did like that. I honestly feel like the show builds a little bit. And by the end, you like it a lot more than the beginning. I'm not saying it was like, oh, this is actually a great show, but I do feel like it definitely maybe got some traction. Its best moments were all definitely in the latter half of the episode for sure. Yeah, but yeah. I think yeah. that has more to do with Elliot Gold and Martin Short. Mm. And it's very, very like. So that, yeah. that's that's one thing I wanted to touch on once we kind of went through this whole thing, because I had said earlier, the glaring problems to me were like John Mulaney can't act. And I actually think if you took him out, even if even though it's a show he helped develop and was probably a head writer on and the show is focused around him. If you took the same cast of characters and you sub John Mulaney out with somebody else, 
I think the show could have been wildly successful. I really thought there was actually enough there to make the show I, pretty I good. I agree, yeah. I yeah, disagree. I agree. Because I felt like a lot of these other characters had chemistry. Andre could fuck himself. Ferg's argument, the writing still wasn't there. You know what I mean? But it depends on who that, it really depends on who that person would be to replace him. Especially if John Mulaney's like the main voice there. But I just think there's a lot of people that probably would have been charismatic that you could have thrown into that role. they replaced John Mulaney with G Jiminy Glick? <laughs> <laughs> the entire show is just Jiminy Glick. <laughs> I'll come back tomorrow. I found my tea tray. <laughs> <laughs> this show did get retooled this wasn't even its original version on a different network and then fox still bought it which is crazy so this was an nbc show and they were like this isn't very good <laughs> joe was laying on that one before he died again and it killed me <laughs> like trying to make like a, a cogent point <laughs> couldn't fucking do. i think for like the show to work and even if you cut out the scenes of him actually doing stand-up like i was trying to think of like what younger like comedians on the scene could kind of work there right because a lot of my favorite comedians are all a little older now too so like they don't fit into that role either but i think there's a lot of comedians you could have just shoved right in and it would work more i think if you changed it to somebody else who had maybe a little more acting like you said there but then you move john mulaney in just for fun to be the andre character yeah where like he just comes in every once in a while he makes a couple like funny little yeah. john laney jokes and he comes back out sure. again you'd be like oh perfect use that's what i think would have been the better way to do it obviously you know he wanted to have his own show and i get actually that. like and we touched on it not long ago um because we did parks and rec a few weeks back i could actually see like an aziz and sorry doing the main role on there i was just literally yeah. thinking aziz azari but... or dimitri martin oh yeah martin. Martin. i could see either of those two people replacing him mm. and it being better yeah yeah but unfortunately they went with john mulaney <laughs> so i was just about to say like if i do feel bad going in on john mulaney this hard honestly it's not something that can be easy to do right to just to, is that his first acting role actually what if it's not i didn't even bother to look actually because uh, it's so bad i just assumed that it was his first acting role but maybe it isn't yeah i'm not sure i mean i think you're just doing stand-up he may have popped into an snl sketch once in a while when he was he's hosted there, snl before hasn't he yeah but that was like way more recently after all. That. But then again, you said he's doing a lot of acting. God, on... he's been in. He's been acting since like 2008. He's been in Kroll <laughs> Show and stuff. He's always 2004, funny. actually, in the cavalcade of personalities. So he just sucks. Yeah. All right. I take it back. He just sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they've all been like shorts. Um, cavalcade of personality TV shorts. Mike Burbiglia's Mike Burbiglia is FYI a way funnier stand-up comedian than John Mulaney is. Go check out Mike Burbiglia. Okay, I will. Um, but that looks like a t that's a special. I love the thirties. Is it? Yeah, I mean, we don't need to go through his whole thing. He's done. He's done more acting before this than he's done after this. So. But he's good in other stuff, too. He's doing sold-out shows on Broadway where he's acting. I just think there's something that's a hiccup here. I don't think it's necessarily just him. And I feel I, I agree with you. Like, we shouldn't be just going in on him because I do like him. But what is he acting in on Broadway? He did that whole Oh, Hello show with Nicole. Hey, he's for, like, um, the voice of Peter Porker, uh, the spectacular Spider-Ham in the um, Spider-Man movie, the um, uh. Into the Spider-Verse. And he actually does pretty good voice acting in that. So I'll give him credit. Yeah, I agree. I, oh, he's great in um, Big Mouth, Joe too, uh, makes a good point. This 
this show makes John Mulaney look worse than he actually is. Like, if you come in this, like, yeah. not knowing who John Mulaney is, you're never going to want to see John Mulaney again. When in reality, there is stuff he's in that's not Here, Here's what I'll say, too. If, if we were to blame anyone else, and, and I don't have the credit in front of me, but whoever directed the episode needs to be able to say, this this is awkward. You need to deliver it this way. You need, like, I don't know how much creative control Mulaney had on the show. I assume quite a bit. But if you had a really good director there that really knew how to get the vibe right and to direct him to, like, you know, do try it this way, try it that way, try standing here. It could have been a lot better, but maybe whoever was directing the episode was too focused on the directing and not focusing on the performances enough. That that could be one part of it. With that in mind, is there anything else you guys want to talk about in regards to John Mulaney himself, anyone else in the cast, the show, or do you think we pretty much covered it at this point? I do feel very bad that Nassim Pedrad quit SNL to do this show. I mean, like, I know in life you have to take chances sometimes, right? No, always it seems like out. a great opportunity. You're going to be one of the leads on a on a big Fox show that has a lot of budget behind it, a big cast, a big right, star. A lot of potential, a lot of I'm buzz. I'm sure she feels worse about it. She, I imagine. I mean, if you look now, too, right, the cast of SNL who's been part of that whole cast, have most of those people have been on there for years at this point. There's a lot of people from, like, that generation of SNL people who she could have, you know, like, I mean, maybe she's happier doing that Chad show. I don't know. I'm not going to speak for her, obviously, but it just seems like a bummer to take that big of a risk and have it blow up so quickly and this show got like because i remember what it was on i never got to watch it i think it was on on tuesdays and that was the same night whatever night it was on i had band practice and that's why i never got to see it because i was just never home for it um, Holy i was, I was shit. like oh i should check this out i like everybody in it and it just as an aside andy ackerman directed this who did almost 90 episodes of seinfeld he directed 90 <laughs> episodes of seinfeld of course <laughs> okay come on he also on. did almost uh he did 18 episodes of cheers he did uh wkrp in cincinnati perfect couples which i'm not really he did the connors this is quite the pedigree. listen i'm the episode of curb your enthusiasm about seinfeld oh that's a great season that whole so listen show. i'm trying to not blame john mulaney but we're running out of people that it could be their fault <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry johnny true, true. I guess we get, we got to put this whole thing on the guy who played Andre. Yeah, fuck you, Andre Van Horn. Listen, I think we've 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 said a lot. Uh, we've tackled this as as best we can. I, there's only one thing left to do, and that's the green light or cancel segment. And I'm not going to assume how many of you are voting. So let's just go around. Berg, I'm going to start with you. Well, Joe, you finally done it. <laughs> this show is worse than Country Comfort. This is the worst show we've wow. covered, period. I hated every second of this show. I laughed because I got excited when I saw Dean Kane, and that was the first joy I got from the second of this fucking show. I cancel it, and I hope it rots in hell. <laughs> You're so upset right now. Joe, going to you, the man who made us watch, us, uh, watch the show. Yeah, Ferg, unfortunately, I don't have a rebuttal for you. I'm not going to tell you you should give it a better chance or anything. Look, it wasn't good. It should have been good, and that's why I picked it, right? A big sort of show that failed with a lot of big people in it. We know why it failed now. It's not very good. I do like almost everybody on it, but yeah, this is bad. That said, I probably will watch at least the next episode because I'm just so intrigued to see where they take this and to see if it just continues down that path and to see if it gets worse or better because I, I just I need to know now. So it's, it's obviously a, a red light, a cancel for Joe. Gordo. Well, I mean, we we've gone. I we've we've yeah yeah. This this wasn't good. It just wasn't good. Like it had potential to be good with Martin Short, but this just came off as a bootleg Seinfeld to me, straight down to the director. Uh, so you know, I mean, I know that we've talked about certain you know people maybe portraying John Mulaney, but you know, I got to give it up to Steve Harvey. Please put a bullet in my head 
canceled. Nick. Yeah, what can be said that already hasn't been said? Cancel. This was a bad, bad show. Martin Short is good. Uh, Elliot Gould is good. Some of the other cast is great, but you cannot save a sinking ship with just that, I guess. It's bad. Cancel. Yeah, so I'm not here to do anything different than the rest of you guys this time. Um, it's obviously a cancel for me. The thing that bums me out is, like I said before, I really feel like if you subbed him out with someone else, it could be a decent show. And it's not just to shit on John Mulaney, because he is funny as a stand-up. This just wasn't the right project for him. Something just didn't work. But you know how, like, with Full House, there's a whole version of the pilot episode where someone else played Danny Tanner, and, like, you could find that on the web? Yeah. I would love to see a version of this show where just someone else played the main character for the entirety of the episode where everything was exactly the same except that human being. And I just feel like it would it would be a show that I actually liked. I felt like so many pieces were there. There was a good cast. There was some good situational stuff in it, but I can't because it starred someone who just was, he came off too awkward and his deliveries were weird. Um, So it's a cancel for me as well. That's a zero out of five. That is... um shitcom status as we say here what would you say the average of joe's shows are as far as cancels the green lights we can do some math they're not <laughs> fantastic are all of the full cancels his shows i don't know off the top of my head everything that's no. a full cancel i would we love can... to I, I was thinking like we should penalize him but i think and we should give him an award <laughs> like that's impressive to find that many bad shows well since you su- said it let me look at it right now i'll tell you every show that we've given all five joe has cancels. to get a prostate exam now <laughs> country comfort which was a joe pick joe pick and yep. then yes dear which was yes, a joe dear. pick yeah that was me <laughs> and then this one there's only the third time we've given it all five cancels so only three actually out of what now is our 38th episode i believe i'd actually be curious more to has anybody how many times have we all canceled except joe ah so mama's family was one of them great okay. show uh, we all canceled that except for joe that might be the only time that happened actually yeah, I don't recall that happening often, actually. Yeah, I was a couple. I was the the odd man out on a couple of. Joe's we remember there. Joe also canceled Third Rock from the Sun. He was the odd man out on that one. So didn't love it. It was no mama's. Family. Everybody loves Raymond. <laughs> news radio. Come on, Skeeter. news radio. Joe was the only one who greenlit it. Yeah, I greenlit news radio. No one else did. But uh, yeah, so that's uh, you guys can go through. Actually, if you want to give a better look to everything that we voted uh, greenlit versus cancels, go to our Instagram, which is S one E one Pod. Um, S one E one Pod on everything actually. So go check that out. So yeah, so to close things up, that's all the time we have for this week, guys. Uh, again, S one E one Pod Like I just said, that's where you can go to find all our social medias: Instagram, Facebook, everything like that. Everywhere you can listen to us, rate, review, subscribe, do all that stuff. Spread the word. Let people know about us. We appreciate it very much. But that's it. That's it for this week. Thank you. Goodbye. I don't think we got the best Bellini. 